0: Welcome in to the Bear Down Podcast. I'm Chris Black, along with Adam Abdallah. You can listen to our show weeknights from 6 day right here on ESPN 1000. On today's episode of the Bear Down Podcast, we get a chance to talk with NFL draft expert from ESPN, Matt Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout, And we started the conversation talking about what Matt saw from Justin Fields at Ohio State and in year one with the Chicago Bears, his rookie season. That's how our conversation starts out with Matt Miller.
1: Yeah, I, my opinion of him hasn't changed. I, I don't think that would be fair to do to any player, much less to Justin Fields in the situation he was in. You know, it would be like asking, has your opinion of Trevor Lawrence changed because the Jaguars were terrible and their coach got fired? No, of course not. I, I think you know when you look at a, a rookie quarterback, you expect struggles. Uh, you expect some adversity, especially in a situation like the one Justin was drafted into, right? Where there's, uh, you know, the job wasn't wasn't his from day one. I think there were a lot of schematic problems, so. I had him as the number two quarterback in last year's draft. I absolutely loved Justin Field from the throwing ability to the, you know, the football IQ and the processing speed, uh, both as a runner and a thrower, what he brought as an athlete, what he brings, you know, to the table as a leader and a character you know, person in and out of the locker room. I absolutely loved Justin. So, uh, you know, a handful of games on a team that had no I- identity on offense, that completely lacked – playmakers at the wide receiver position, no disrespect to Darnell Mooney, who had a good year last year, and had really a patchwork offensive line, I don't think we can get a fair assessment of who Justin Fields is off that one year.
2: And we don't praise Ryan Pace for uh, really anything that he did, but the one thing we can kind of <laughs> give some praise for is having the foresight to move up and get Justin Fields and not you know give uh, Mitchell Trubisky the fifth-year option and so the Bears aren't stuck trying to find a quarterback this year because as far as the quarterback class goes this year, Justin Fields would be, hands down, the best quarterback coming out this year if he were in this draft, right?
1: Oh, that's not even close. Yes, he would be. And teams would be trading up to draft him at number one overall because Jacksonville would be trading out. And, uh, you know, I was not a fan of the Ryan Pace hire when it happened. I'm not, not shy about, you know, voicing that opinion, um, and I, I will agree with you. I think the, the one good thing he did was to look ahead and say, 2002 quarterback class is not going to be very good. We have this you know, elite player who's falling down draft boards. Let's go ahead and grab him, trade up and grab him, and, and set the table. Now, unfortunately for him, he was setting the table for Ryan Poles. But I do think that you know with Ryan and Matt coming in, this new regime has you know, a gift at quarterback that now – you just got to build around him. I believe he's the type of player you can't build around. Unfortunately, like we mentioned, that trade left the cupboard bare this year when it comes to draft picks, and and we haven't seen them be super aggressive in free agency, which is a, a strategy that may pay off next year.
0: Matt Miller from uh, ESPN talking NFL draft with Black and Abdallah here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. So, Matt, when you take your sights on the new front office for the Chicago Bears with Ryan Poles running the show as the GM and Matt as the head coach, what do you think of the direction of the franchise now going forward?
1: You know, guys, to be completely honest, I think it's, it's hard to tell right now because I think they did walk into a tough situation where you don't have a first-round pick you have so many needs because it was a roster that after some of the early success with Nagy and pace, they kind of went all in, you know? And so I do think that there's a lot of holes on the roster from guys like Khalil Mack being, being brought in and then traded, you know, or loading up on the front seven on defense with contracts that you were good at the time, but you know, the team that didn't fulfill those, those needs and holes. So I, I think that it's hard to see right now what the vision is because they haven't really done anything yet. I think that's the hardest part for, both polls and Eberflus of okay, I like both of you. You both have great credentials. You have good resumes. Seem like good men, but we really haven't seen them do anything other than trade Khalil Max so far. So I, I'm optimistic, but you know, right now it's just it's really hard to have a firm opinion on if this is a good or a bad front office
2: they obviously need to build around justin fields there's been a bunch of mock drafts that have come out already having them they have two uh second round picks taking offensive linemen taking some wide receivers what is that some uh, it's a very deep class at wide receiver as it seems like it is every year from now on that the class of wide receiver is going to be pretty deep who are some of those second round receivers that the bears could look at that uh fans should be you know taking a closer look at here as we get closer to the draft
1: Yeah, you know, what's crazy is we might see a run on that position. So having multiple second-round picks might be good because you might have to trade up to get one. So I think some names to know, I mean, Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, who is a Chicago guy, um, definitely, I think, moved himself up throughout the pre-draft process and is a name to be excited about because of his production, his athleticism. You know, being a big slot receiver at Cincinnati, he was incredibly productive. George Pickens from Georgia, who would probably be a first-round pick, had he not torn his ACL and, and you know worked back late last year into the, the Georgia offense. Those are two names that I really like because they are bigger guys who can be that number one target, can kind of replace what Allen Robinson was. Now, on the offensive line, I think that's where things get much more difficult because there is a drop-off at offensive tackle this year. There is a drop-off at guard. A player like Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan uh, could definitely be there in round two and be someone that I think could be uh, a starter in the NFL. But, is still kind of a work in progress, not unlike Tevin Jenkins was last year.
0: Matt, uh, one of the names that we've seen is that Tyler Smith from Tulsa, the offensive tackle. Uh, how would you uh, describe his game, and, and what's the ceiling with, with a player like Smith?
1: Yeah, the first word that comes to mind is mean. Uh, he is one of the toughest, meanest players in this year's draft, regardless of position. He um, had 16 penalties last year, 12 with the holding, because he's just a little too aggressive at times, but I think you look at his play and the athleticism makes him a guy who's through-the-roof potential. Um, also, there's positional versatility. He could play right tackle, he could play right guard. I know some people think he could play left tackle. Uh, I don't particularly see that for him, but as a round-two right tackle prospect, I think there is a ton of upside. Uh, the, the downside is you're, you're once again betting on a player who maybe isn't going to produce a whole lot in year one. I feel more that Chicago needs guys in round two that can come in and produce year one.
2: You see that seems to be a theme with whoever Ryan Poles goes after, whether it's in the offseason or names that are surrounded with the draft is that that mean tendency on the offensive line. The Bears have holes otherwhere at corner safety. They've got tons of, of spots. What about in the third round, they do have one third round pick. If they choose to go defense in the third round, is there someone there in the secondary that they should be targeting?
1: Yeah, I think that's another position where there's so much depth that will be interesting to see, especially at safety, who kind of drops down because, like, I love Jaquan Brisker at Penn State. The more I talk to teams, I have a round two grade on him. The more you talk to teams, they think he might be a round three player. Same for Jalen Petrie from Baylor, who Jalen Petrie would be very similar to what Poles was experienced with in Kansas City with Tyron Matthew, that guy who can play that slot corner position, can also play some safety, can just be a little bit of a matchup weapon in the secondary. So I think those are two guys that fit kind of the, the prototype that you want at, at those positions. It will just be interesting to see where the run-on safeties happens. You know, if Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton goes early in round one. Then it might be a while before we see Daxton Hill from Michigan go or Seen from Georgia, and that could just push those guys down the board even further.
0: When you take need team need out of the equation, who's the most talented player uh, as we head into the draft? Who's the absolute best talent in this year's NFL draft?
1: I think it's Aiden Hutchinson, and I've I've felt that way almost wire to wire this year. Um, I think the, the, the traits that he brings, you know, I mean, we look at things like height, length, power, quickness. He checks the box. His combine performance was, you know, very, very good. So you don't have any questions athletically. And then I think you watch the tape and you see production that he's generating on his own. It's not, you know, he's left on an island and he's beating a right tackle for production. He was creating on his own. Uh, I think also just the... Relentless way that he rushes the quarterback is, is something that you love. You want to see a guy who has that hunger and that drive, and he consistently has that. I think that that puts him in a class by himself this year, ahead of you know guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Trevon Walker, who are incredibly talented players. I think Hutchinson, you know exactly what you're getting though.
2: We briefly touched on the quarterbacks and how like they're just. The class just isn't that great this year, but that won't stop teams from taking them. That might stop teams from taking, <laughs> might not stop teams from taking them in the top five, top <laughs> right, ten. Right. It doesn't matter. Teams always get desperate. Teams might trade up in the into the thirsty. first round towards they get the thirsty, end. Thirsty, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get a run on quarterbacks, and people are like, "Oh man, I got to get Kenny Pickett, like right now." Um, so, how do you think that this first round kind of plays out in terms of quarterback with teams getting desperate, or uh, as I've been saying for a few weeks now that maybe the Lions are better off just being bad and waiting for a year to try to find their quarterback of the future.
1: I would rather wait till next year and find some job security. I can tell you that. Next year's class, I mean, there's a lot of time for things to change. Next year's class definitely looks better. I think trying to figure out the quarterback class this year is one of the, the hardest things. And I've talked to colleagues in the media. I've talked to scouts and coaches and general managers, and, and everyone's trying to do the same thing of, where does the first quarterback come off the board? What does Detroit do? What does Carolina do? Does a team like the Saints or Steelers trade up and shake the market up? Because it's it's wild. The closer we get to the draft, more teams I think are talking themselves into the top guys, whether that's Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter. So it it, it does seem like that talk is heating up, and I, I think you know more so than ever before, this draft has legitimate intrigue, not just at okay, who's going to be the second pick, but where the heck are these quarterbacks going to go? Because, you know, I've been doing this 12 years now and every other year it was like, okay, we know where the quarterbacks are. You, you knew where they were going to go. You might not have the player to the team, but like you, you reasonably knew. And this year, I mean, we're, we're not far out and we have no idea right now.
0: Matt, when you look at the quarterbacks, Malik Willis, uh, what would be the realistic expectation slash projection for a player, the quarterback from Liberty, Malik Willis?
1: I think realistic is Jalen Hurts. You know, uh, where right away you're going to impress with your uh, obviously your ability to extend plays what you bring to the table as a runner I think Malik is a much better down the field passer than Jalen is I think Jalen's maybe a little more accurate underneath but I I think you could have you know that type of player or you know Zach Wilson last year toward the end of the year some of those bright spots where you know he had he had one pretty good game down the stretch once he came back from from being on the uh, injury list I think with Malik, you're not expecting greatness year one. In fact, he might not play a whole lot year one. I think what makes him intriguing is you know, he's like a, this ball of clay that really hasn't been molded yet because he was playing with you know, a, a level of competition and with a level of supporting cast that is not like anything that's going to happen on Sundays. And so he's kind of a complete mystery this year because you really just don't know what he could become. And so much of that evaluation is not based on – what he did on Saturdays, it's not even based on arm strength or athleticism. It's based on aptitude and work ethic and how much he wants to be great. And I, I think that's why for us in the media, it's really hard to evaluate these quarterbacks because we might spend 20 minutes with these guys, right? We we don't get to go into the schools and talk to the coaches and get as much of the unfiltered information about the guys. But I, I think Malik Willis is definitely has the most potential out of all of them this year.
2: What about a guy like Desmond Ritter? I'm reading some comps and they say Marcus Mariota or Alex Smith. And like when you get into a draft room, like that doesn't really, you know, light the fire under a fan base. They're like, <laughs> oh, man, we're drafting Alex Smith can't wait. But like when he when we were here in Chicago, we were talking about Trubisky and we were saying, oh, well, like Alex Smith as a ceiling wouldn't be that bad. So you kind of do talk yourself into those comparisons. What do you think of Desmond Ritter?
1: Yeah, I think the Marcus Mariota cop is the one I've thrown out there. Or, you know, you hear Ryan Tannehill, definitely hear Alex Smith. I think that the thought process there is there's probably some teams that are okay being good. And I think Desmond Ritter could make a team good. Just like Ryan Tannehill with the Titans has been good. You know, they've, they've made it deep in the playoffs. But I think what the NFL is right now, you have to be great at quarterback to win. You know, you have to have Matthew Stafford this past year was pretty dang great. Joe Burrow was great. Tom Brady has been great. Patrick Mahomes. You, you have to have that type of player to win Super Bowls. And, you know, so I, I look at Ritter, and honestly the rest of this quarterback class, I don't see a guy that's going to elevate a franchise in the way that those players have. And I think that's why there is. You know, I have one quarterback ranked in my top 32. We're probably still going to see three drafted in the first round. So I think that is the, the tough sell this year is a guy like Desmond Ritter on a team with a really good defense and some weapons on offense. You could probably make the playoffs, maybe even somewhat consistently, but you know is he better than Derek Carr? Like I don't think so. Derek Carr struggles to make the playoffs often, and he's a good player. So I, I think that is a hard sell this year. Especially like what we haven't talked about is as we get closer to the draft, you got to sell your draft plan to your owner, and you got to look that owner in the face and say, "Oh no, we believe that Kenny Pickett, or Lake Willis, or Desmond Ritter is the answer to this franchise's questions." Man, that's that is not. A lie, I would like to tell if I were a general manager or head coach.
0: Yeah, you, you know, Matt, coming off of this off season, it's like there are some teams that it seems like they've backed themselves into a corner where that might be the lie that they're going to have to tell to their owner. Absolutely. Like you look at, uh, say, a team like the Washington Commanders. Uh, is is selling Carson Wentz uh, a better option than selling, say, Kenny Pickett? Uh, You know, right. Like some of these quarterback situations, look at Pittsburgh, for example, Pittsburgh with Trubisky there. uh, Now you're looking at a situation. It's like this isn't a guy that's going to take the job for the next 10 years and get us to the playoffs. You're going to have to figure something out within the next couple of seasons, and there was so much movement in this last offseason in the NFL when it comes to quarterback. I think that's where it's going to get fascinating. Adam and I were talking last night on this idea that there's possibly a run in the 40s in the second round where you could see a bunch of these teams who have starters, in quotes, but they also need the next guy where they could all kind of start to get... Get desperate, as Adam was saying, with the first round. But then also applying that to the fact that the Bears have two second-round picks in that window, and maybe they can capitalize on teams getting desperate, wanting to move up to get the the Ritter, the Picket, uh, the Sam Howell's of the world. And then you know maybe the Bears could take advantage of some of these teams who are desperate for a quarterback.
1: Oh, definitely. Seattle is going to be in that yeah. mix. They have two picks in the forties. The Saints could be in that mix. Um, we could definitely see. Uh, the Falcons be in there as well. so i it could work well for Chicago. I think this is gonna be a year where we I think we do see a lot of day two trades because this draft is pretty flat by that I mean like the the player you have ranked at thirty five and the player you have ranked at sixty might not be that different on your board. so you're gonna be more comfortable saying, okay, well, yeah, we could trade back ten spots and still get a guy that we really like because of the way the board has fallen and and so I, I do think we could see a ton of movement on on day two throughout rounds two and three and for Chicago, a team that is, even with two second-round picks, still kind of strapped for draft capital, it could really work out well for them as long as, you know, you got to have that intel of, okay, we can't move back too far because we still need couple receivers You still need some offensive linemen, and, and that doesn't even get to you know the needs on defense.
2: See, that goes back to my conversation where if I'm Dan Campbell, like I'm going into my owner's office, I'm saying, <laughs> look, watch Ohio State games this year, watch Alabama games this year, don't watch our games this year because we're right. trying to go after those two guys. Chris mentioned his name. What happened to Sam Howell this year? He was supposed oh. to be the guy coming out of this yeah. draft class, and he just kind of fell off a cliff this year.
1: We came out week one after like three or four picks, you know, and I think after that it was like, Okay, well, you know, last year he had two running backs that were drafted into the NFL and two receivers that were drafted in the NFL. And you really kind of got the feeling that this scheme was propping him up more than his individual talents. He's, he's an undersized guy. You know, he's built about like Baker Mayfield. He's got, you know, a pretty good arm. But you don't ever watch him and think, like, he doesn't have even the juice of a Baker when he's running. You know, he's not that elusive. He's not that twitchy. So you kind of looked at a guy and was like, all right, what is he doing? versus what is that offensive scheme doing versus what were the players around him doing? And I I think that's why now we're seeing a guy with backup grades because he he does look like he could be a good backup for a long time, but he's probably more Chase Daniel than he is Baker Mayfield.
0: We have a lot of Notre Dame fans in our listening area, Matt, and uh, you mentioned Kyle Hamilton earlier, the safety from Notre Dame. When you scout him, when you watch him on tape, what do you see at the next level?
1: I see a difference maker. I, I think... He's a player that will immediately make whatever defense he's drafted into better, um, on and off the field. I don't understand. I, I do understand why there's talk about him dropping. It's the you know the speed plus positional value, but I, I think he's one of the three or four best players in this draft, and someone that day one is going to make an impact. And you can't say that about Travon Walker from Georgia. You, you can't say that about you know some of the other upside quote unquote upside guys. Like Hamilton will walk in day one and be a leader on defense and. Worst case scenario, he's a better version of Justin Simmons, which is still pretty dang good. Some of that could be a huge impact.
2: You mentioned Pickens and some of these guys that have injuries, some of these wide receivers, Jameson Williams, John Mechie, some of these guys that have ACL injuries that have torn their ACL. How does that affect their draft? Like Jameson Williams obviously isn't going to fall that far, but how does it affect his draft status when he might not be available till the end of the year?
1: Yeah, I think for Jameson Williams it's not maybe as much of an issue because he was, you know, such a highly prized and regarded player, would probably be a top ten pick had he not gotten hurt. So we could probably see him go from all right projected top ten to maybe mid twenties. So he's gonna see a little bit of a drop. John Mechie, who hurt same same injury, torn ACL two weeks before that in the SEC championship game. You know, he was very productive this year but wasn't as flashy and I think had probably moved into like an early round two conversation. So for him, it might be late round two. So uh, I think it's, you know, kind of an equitable drop for both those guys. Um, the crazy thing is, and the same for David Ojibwe, the edge rusher from Michigan who tore Achilles in his pro day, we're seeing medical technology get to a level where guys are bouncing back so much faster. Cam Akers towards ACL, or Achilles, excuse me, was back in six months, which is unheard of. So I think with James Williams and, and John Mechie, there is a belief that, you know, they could be back sooner rather than later. The – the combine, you know, or excuse me, the post-combine medical rechecks that are coming up very soon will be hugely important with that, just to see where they're at basically three months post-surgery to see, you know, okay, what is the, what's the trajectory right now of when they're going to get back on the field? Because that will ultimately, you know, that's a team doctor is making that draft pick more than a general manager is basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And last thing for you, Matt, is uh, a conversation that we've had on the show. We we talk a lot of college football, and, and we also uh, have been living here in the offensive dark ages with the Chicago Bears as, as the team that we have to cover and talk about. But, you know, uh, when you're scouting college football and then projecting out to the next level in the NFL, the one thing that we've talked about, at least in the last 10 years, is that because college football is so offensive uh, – heavy and intensive as far as throwing the football and with uh, the way the spread uh, offenses have taken everyone. There's teams in the big 10 sec all over the place, uh, blue blood teams that are used to running the football who throw the football now 60 times a game. Uh, When you, when you're watching college football and, and you kind of look at the evolution of college football and then having that bleed into the NFL, what have you seen? What are the trends that you've seen over the last five to 10 years? Because the one thing we've noticed is that like, yeah, the bears offense is, has been terrible, but the rest of the league, they're, they're implementing concepts that we see on Saturdays. And it's something kind of cool to kind of witness and, and see in real time.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's not just the RPO offense making its way to the NFL. I think it's also the fact that receivers are playing well earlier than ever before. Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson, there's, a handful of players that come in and you used to not expect a rookie receiver to do much of anything and now you know Jamar Chase was one of the best receivers in football down the stretch last year. I think the other cool thing we're seeing is teams adapt offensively to where they almost say we're going to bet on our athletes against yours. Let's get the ball out quickly, let's get it out in space, and let's let our athletes make plays, which you know, the Cincinnati Bengals offense, the St. Louis or Los Angeles Rams offense like they're predicated on that of getting the ball out quickly. Kansas City does a great job of that at times as well. And I think that's one of the things where if you're a Justin Fields fan or a Chicago Bears fan, that's got to be the hope is that that's what they did at Ohio State. you know. So hopefully we can see some of that come to Chicago as well, and hopefully they can get him the weapons to do that.
0: Follow Matt on Twitter, NFL Draft Scout. He's ESPN's draft expert, Matt Miller. Matt, thanks for taking some time for blocking Abdallah here today.
1: Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thank you.